back, Habibi. Welcome to Wrecked, the podcast where we explore what happened when California legalized adult use marijuana in 2018. I'm Christopher Trout, the creative and editorial director of Grass. Joining me today are Rena Caria. Hey guys, Rena here. <laughs> Sorry. Nice podcast voice. <laughs> Trying something new. And Brandy Moody. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm excited about today. Are you? Always. Yeah. We're talking about pot. <laughs> <laughs> On our We're podcast. We're not smoking it yet. Yeah. So, Rena. You want to tell people what you do? I am the design and branding director of the Grass Agency, and I also work on some other cannabis projects that are not up yet. Anyway. <laughs> we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. And Brandy, what do you do? I am a marketing consultant uh, doing mostly insight research and insights in the food and wine and cannabis worlds. So... A little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Getting crossfaded. I'm good always, yeah. <laughs> the most fun. Today we're going to be talking about a subject that is very, very deeply ingrained in the whole cannabis industry, but specifically a, a topic that has become top of mind for a lot of people in this industry over the past year and a half, uh, and that is equity. And by equity, I mean basically how cities and the state are dealing with the aftermath of the war on drugs. So the war on drugs is a far more complicated, far more just a much bigger thing than I could describe in a 30 second soundbite. But I will attempt my best to give you a short summary way back, back in the day. So we're talking about like prohibition days for alcohol, right? Mexican and Indian immigrants started to come into the United States. We started to see these sort of anti-immigrant campaigns, and a lot of them focused on marijuana, which for whatever reason was just the case, right? There was a tradition of marijuana use in India and in Mexico for medicinal and cultural reasons, right? At the time, the attorney general decides that he's basically going to create a taxation system that makes it impossible for people to consume and grow and distribute weed in the United States, followed by a lot of states and cities outlawing marijuana. Eventually, we get to this point where it's basically illegal everywhere in the United States and starts to just be illegal everywhere in the world as a result of our war on drugs. So Nixon comes around and he's like, you know, a racist old white dude who wants to put people of color in their place without saying he's putting people of color in their place. And he calls for a war on drugs. And basically, that's when we see marijuana scheduled as a schedule one drug, which means basically that it has no medicinal or um, it just doesn't have any use that is worthwhile. What ends up happening as a result is black and brown people are arrested and put in jail en masse. And we end up with these insane statistics around it. There was a brief glimmer of hope under Carter that we were going to have decriminalization. And then... Another motherfucker. Named... Ronald Reagan. Ronald (laughs) shows up. (laughs) And he and his wife... Nancy. Nancy 
they end up in the White House and they have this campaign against, they just reinvigorate the war on drugs, right? After this brief moment where we think maybe we're going to have decriminalization. And they go in hard on the war on drugs. And this is where you start to see shit just fall apart. So I looked up some statistics, or Brandy looked up some statistics and shared them with me. I'm not trying to take credit. No, it's fine. Um, what I have here is some stats from the uh, from drugpolicy.org. So from the um, Drug Policy Alliance. And basically, let me break some of this down for you. They said that Annually in the U.S., the war on drugs has cost us $47 billion plus. With the B. B billions, not M millions, B billions of dollars. The number of arrests in 2018 in the U.S. for drug law violations was 1,654,282. The number of drug arrests that were for uh, for possession, so Possession arrests were 1,429. Of those arrests, the number for marijuana violations was 663,000 for weed, y'all. The percentage of people arrested for drug law violations who were either black or Latino was 46.9, despite the fact that those people only make up 31.5% of the U.S. population. So right. when you ask, why do we need an equity program? This is why. Mm-hmm. The first of these was uh, started in Oakland. And one of our guests, Amber Center, who is a cannabis organizer, activist, and business owner, has created an organization called Supernova Women. I was a blogger back in like 2007. Um, <clears throat> I started blogging about cannabis. I was always been a fan of weed since I was like 18. Um, I've dealt with autoimmune issues my entire life. I wasn't diagnosed until I was uh, 33. Uh, But I definitely knew when I started smoking at the age of 18 that it really helped deal with a lot of issues that I was dealing with. So um, I immediately was like, I love this plant, you know. So I started to um, research it a lot, uh, tinkering with little grows in my closet, and uh, started to blog about it. And um, I was diagnosed uh, with lupus at the end of 2013. And uh, at the time, I kind of posted on Facebook, said, hey, uh, I was living in Chicago, and I said, hey, um, any friend, friends in Atlanta, because uh, that's where I had been living previously. I said, hey, um, anybody got a creative director, art director kind of job? Holler at me, let me know, because that's what my background is. And um, I had a friend that I met through blogging here in Oakland that owned a, uh, an edibles company. And he, he chimed in on my post and then he sent me a private message he says hey uh did you ever consider moving to california and being in the weed industry and i was like i would love it but i just i just i don't have any opportunity and he says well you should come work for me and you could be my sales and kind of marketing person i need some help i said wow okay 
And so um, three weeks later, I flew out here. <clears throat> um, I didn't have much money at the time. So he said, hey, you can you can stay with this uh, activist. She, she puts up lots of activist people like you um, when they're coming out here visiting, and that was Debbie Goldsberry. And so I was introduced to Debbie Goldsberry by him. And uh, so he took me around, kind of like showed me Oaksterdam. At the time, the student union was open. So I went by there, I got to meet a lot of people. And uh, I loved it, you know, that was amazing. And uh, so two months later, I moved here. And um, I didn't know anybody aside from you know, this is, I, I knew no one here in California. I met him, I only knew of him through <clears throat> the internet, <laughs> Facebook and blogging. He introduced her to... Debbie Goldsberry. Who is... Like, um, I... Kind of, you know, medical marijuana, Bay Area weed royalty <laughs> in yeah, a way yeah. sort of so she's she's a co-founder of bpg right which is uh the berkeley patients group she also started some other organizations and she um is the head of magnolia in oakland right now right which so is, which just doesn't which i think magnolia really kind of encapsulates like a community vibe mm-hmm. for a dispensary mm-hmm. yeah, they were having like farmers markets with you know farm real not weed farmers actual farmers they kind of and they have a lot of senior outreach. I think Magnolia is a great example of like a community-based dispensary. Well, she's, she's awesome. When we first started getting in the industry, um, I mean, there's free education. Mm-hmm. Debbie herself is teaching classes to whoever wants to come and listen um, like weekly. I mean, I don't know if she's still doing it. This was like a couple years ago, but um, yeah, that was like one of the first places we went for resources to learn about what was going on. So yeah, Amber ends up sleeping on her couch, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of wild, right? When you think about it, like this woman who had no real connection to the Bay Area weed scene just shows up. And the first one of the first people that she meets is, is as you pointed out, like Berkeley weed royalty. Oh, yeah. She, um, you know, the idiot's guides. She mm-hmm. wrote the idiot's guides to o- idiot's guide to opening up a marijuana dispensary or whatever. Anyway, For real? Yeah. <laughs> Debbie. <laughs> was that on the Idiot's Guide's imprint, or was that like a... I mean, it's an official Idiot's Guide. Oh. I got one. Signed. <laughs> <laughs> Are for dummies and Idiot's Guide oh, not the same thing? No, no, no. They're, they're for I think, dummies? I think they're, they've always been like competing entities. Oh, yeah. I'd like to know who the Idiot's Guide guy is and who the dummies guy is. I don't, I don't know if she's... They, they're, they're divorcees. <gasps> oh, that would <laughs> no, be a no, great no, no, story. Yeah, that's like oh. what I think. You know, like like of, they were a couple and they like, split I'll up. I'll take Idiot. I'm going to miss it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking the Idiots. You can take the dummies. Yeah. <laughs> I actually don't know. I do have the book, but I don't remember if it's idiot's guide or if it's for dummies so okay don't quote me on that exactly i was speaking at a conference this was like the second conference i ever spoke at uh i I was at a vip party and i rolled in all super late (laughs) and uh i was just kind of chilling at the the party looking at the scene and everybody's like drinking wine and I, i i'm not a drinker so I'm like, where's the weed? <laughs> you know, this is supposed to be a weed party. What's going on here? I always carry a perfume nug, I call it, in my jacket pocket, uh, my, a blazer. And I had a big fat nug of purple kush. So dank. 
And so I pulled it out and I started grinding it up. And Nina Parks saw me and she says, hey, what do you got there? And she walked over. She's the only other woman of color in the whole place. So she and I started talking. Hey, isn't it weird that we're like the only like people of color in this place? You know, like what's going on? Why is it like this? And so uh, she and I became friends and we just started meeting over the next several months. Like we'd meet at Lake Merritt, we would meet uh, over uh, in San Francisco by the water and we would just smoke and talk. And when we saw this problem, but we had no idea how to fix it or even how to begin to solve it. I, I went to a Women Grow event looking for writers and I walk up to the table and I meet Sunshine Lencho. She says, hey, you got a cute dog. I said, thanks. She says, I have a Datsun too. I said, oh, that's awesome. And she says, yeah. Who do you work for? <laughs> I said, oh, I work for this consulting company. She's cool, are you hiring? I said, yeah, actually I came here because I'm looking for writers. She's awesome. I'm looking for a job. So um, while we're working at this uh, consulting agency, we're noticing that we're writing and doing all these applications for these very well-funded, very white male groups. And we're like, this is fucked up. We're essentially gentrifying our, our own industry. So um, at, at my first Easy Sundays brunch, uh, Nina and Sunshine both came and they, they met each other there. And um, we started talking about this thing. So we have a meeting the next week at Sunshine's house. And that's when we formed Supernova Women. And uh, with the whole goal and mindset just being that we need to be helpful to our community. We have so much information. We need to give it to them for free. But they were sort of instrumental in setting up the Oakland Equity Project or program rather. There was no Prop 64 talk back then. It was all, um, there was a little bit of talk about what regulation of medical cannabis might look like, but that was it. So, so we were trying to really prep people for what we felt like was coming. At the same time we were uh, putting on these events, uh, we were also going to city council advocating very heavily on behalf of black and brown people. Uh, city council being in Oakland? Oakland or? City Council, yeah. And uh, they were getting setting up the medical regulations and license structure. Um, the time it was the ordinances, they were making changes to the ordinances. At a public safety meeting, um, council member Desiree Brooks kind of introduced an idea of the equity program. And we're like, okay, this is, this is good. And so we just really started to build off of that. And uh, we worked with the city of Oakland uh, to basically develop that program. And then uh, we worked with San Francisco to develop their equity program. Sunshine actually got an award um, for Black History Month for her contributions to San Francisco for the equity program. And um, then we worked with the state of California to develop theirs. So now there's this, this equity fund that gets dispersed to all the municipalities that have equity programs. So um, 
we've really been uh, hammering at this issue since day one, literally. And um, always trying to advocate on behalf of our community and uh, making it easier for us, trying to lower the barriers for us uh, to operate in this highly regulated industry. You know? Oakland's equity program basically said that for every general license, an equity license would be um, granted as well. It covers people that grew up in areas that were overpoliced or who had been convicted of a marijuana crime in the past. What has ended up happening is something completely different from the original intent of that program. And there are a lot of problems wrapped up in how those not only how those licenses are being given out, but also what happens after those licenses are given out. Yeah, there's only one success story. And that success story is our other guest. So there is one equity dispensary up and running in Oakland at this point. By this point in 2019, there should be eight. Mm. And there's only one. Um, <clears throat> those licenses have been granted so in 2018, four equity licenses were granted for dispensaries and four general licenses were granted for dispensaries. And of those, only one is up and running now in 2019, which is absolutely crazy. That license was granted to a man named Alfonso Tucky Blunt and his business partner, Brittany Moore, who have a dispensary called... Blunts and more. What an amazing name. <laughs> Serendipitous, right? It is, yeah. it is the greatest name for a dispensary yeah. ever. At 16, I started selling illegally to a bunch of my friends and coworkers. It's been in my family since I was a kid. Like, parents sold weed. It was, everybody smoked it. It was nothing. It wasn't a big deal for us. How I sold my weed was one way to my whole life. I never was on a turf. I was from a turf, but you never catch me selling weed on that turf. Hit me on my phone, I'll meet you, you come to my house, it's a whole business transaction. We smoke a little, we talk, you go about your way. I had a son come in, my first son in 2005, and I was in between jobs. It was right before I started with the county. Well, a little bit before I started with the county. And I needed some extra money. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go to turf for a little while here and there. And kind of got excited and it was over there. I had a good seven month run, real good. And I got snitched on by one of the people I used to buy weed from. Never have been arrested, no prior nothing. And I got 10 years of felony probation with a four-way search clause for $80 worth a week. And um, the end of 2017, I got a phone call from uh, Mike Marshall, who is, I'm sure you guys have heard the song, I Got Five on it. The voice that's singing I Got Five on it is a guy named Mike Marshall, homeboy of mine. The Loonies, homeboys of mine. Mike Marshall calls me and says, um, hey, Tucky, you ever caught a case in Oakland for weed? I'm like, what? Yeah, why? He told me he knew some people who were trying to um, get a license for a dispensary through a program Oakland had called the Equity Program. And um, so as he's saying it, I'm looking up on the internet. He was like, it's something about giving reformation for people. As soon as he said them words, those are the same words we heard at Oaksternam. And they always told us we'd have a chance to get reformations, but we didn't know when. So I'm like, all right, I'm intrigued what they want from me. He was like, nothing. You just had to have caught a case in Oakland, lived in Oakland a certain amount of time, but they can tell you the rest. They don't want no money, no nothing. They're black people. When you ask Tucky, as he likes to be called, or you talk to Amber about why we have these programs, it's basically because people of color have been largely left out of this new green rush, right? 
And without some assistance, specifically financial assistance, it's very hard to get into this industry. And they built the industry and being left out of it, right, is um, kind of bullshit. Right. And I like his point about we set the trends. And I, I think it's more than just trends, right? I, mean, I think they... I think a lot of like a hip hop culture specifically basically was the framework for marijuana culture. Mm -hmm. And honestly, everything I know about marijuana, I learned in a hip hop song, right? Um, Which one? Well, I like no no seeds, no sticks, no stems. I mean, that's something that Snoop Dogg said, what, 20 years ago? Mm -hmm. And I still and that that actually empowered me as a consumer to look at a bag of weed and know that like, oh, I'm paying too much for this because there's sticks or there's seeds or stems in it. Um, so yes, that was a big one. And then Tucky obviously has a connection with uh, Looney's who had I Got Five on it, um, which arguably is probably one of the greatest like marijuana anthems of the last 30 years. I'm compiling a list right now. That's like <laughs> that's been my mission is to like top 5 hip hop songs about about weed. Ma- about I mean that Bone Thugs. Buddha love. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to put that on the list. Add that to the list. I will. Because I was thinking about it more like yeah, I got 5 on it was a definitely a seminal song. I just remember um being at leadership camp in like the late 90s where like there was one student from every school in California so the cross-section of people was pretty fantastic um and the song Indo Smoke by Mr. Grimm came on and everybody was singing it Mm -hmm. like from kids from Oakland to kids from Santa Monica and I remember it and what is so why I remember it so fondly is because one of the guys in my group is now a state senator and so he was like explaining to us like oh yeah you guys don't know this song like it's called endo smoke and now he works for the california government who's and the i think they're senator some- what who's the state senator yeah I names i want receipts i, I should say names <laughs> i okay. want receipts moody um <laughs> we set the trends in this space how dare you not allow us to be in it or try to gouge us for being in it You may notice there's an empty bingo cage, <laughs> and right next to it is a uh, bag of, of bingo balls. They have a number and a letter on it. Our city clerk, who's waiting in another room, she's going to come and spin the wheel. And then the first ball that comes out means you're the 36th place or ranked uh, equity applicant. So ideally, you want to be one of the last four to be called. But it was a lottery, bro. Like, it was a lottery. They just... I've never won a lottery. I play California lottery. I gamble here and there, but to know that I gotta wait for 32 spins, I had to watch somebody do that 32 times. Not even the counting times that two balls came out on accident. Not another time where a ball dropped and she hadn't even rolled it yet, so she had to put it in and roll it again. Like just all the different variables. No, we sitting there. Bree was nervous at first. Like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then about from 30 to 20, her nervousness kind of like went to me. N41, that's Ryan Nishioka. O65, that's Oakland Enterprises. And they picked that fifth ball that, you know, and didn't say our name. B10, that's Alexis Bronson. So the the top, the four selected applicants, Alfonso Blunt, Marshall Crosby, Ricky McCullough, and Zong Hung Yan. Congratulations. I just jumped up 
You can see it on camera. I say, praise Yahweh, hella loud. And uh, I got my club. And then now we're open. We're the only one open. And we're doing pretty damn good. And the only one's open after basically two years, right? I mean, it's yeah. Like almost two years. Uh-huh. Only one open. And it's like, that bothers me. Like, people are like, oh, you, you, you want more competition? It's not competition to me. I'm used to selling weed next to somebody. Like, when you're on a turf, you sell weed next to somebody. Or, for even better, a better way to look at it, I'm from East Oakland. If you're a weed man in East Oakland, and you can survive, everybody's a weed man in East Oakland. You know what I mean? So, competition is not, does not bother me. The program is what the program is for, and that's what people got it when they sit and talk to me. They'll see, it's bigger than me and Bree. I don't care about none of that. I want the program to thrive. Why is it important to have this equity program? Oh, it's important because we got fucked the most out of weed cases. Like, my whole life could have been trashed for getting that 10-year felony probation for $80 worth of weed for my first offense. It's important to have these programs in place because it's legal now. You arrested me and screwed my life over for a plant. You're legally getting money off this plant. It's paying for government this and government that. You have to give me a chance to get in this industry. Now, whether I want you or not, that's on me. But the whole purpose and why I feel it's important is because it gives you, some people really like me, wanted to sell cannabis as a business and was always told they couldn't. This question of why is Tucky the only one, why is Blunson Moore the only equity dispensary up and running right now is really interesting. And one of the things that he said, and something that I think Amber reiterated, is that like, you know, the reason why these equity programs are so important is because... People affected by the war on drugs on this level, black and brown people, for the most part, don't have family money, do not have generational wealth, right? And as a result, there isn't that last minute fill-in. There isn't that person that you can call totally. at the last minute to 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 give you money to help keep the thing going until you can actually get up and running. I get hear all these arguments from a lot of white people and they say, well, I can't afford that either. But they have the networks where they can uh, ask family. They can, they know they got a rich friend. They got a, they just have, they have networks uh, where the folks have money uh, in black communities, brown communities, our people have zero dollars. People have no money. This is the last thing as us, black people, you know, people of color are going to be able to really tap into for generational wealth for our kids, 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 kids. And if we don't apply that logic of working together like these other races, we're going to lose this. This is going to be a billion dollar industry, multiple billion dollar. And if we don't get in, we're going to get fucked. You have to have a lot of money to start one of these businesses. Mm -hmm. You then have to have a lot of money to keep that business going. And beyond that, you also have to have business know-how, right? Mm -hmm. And operating as a drug dealer on the street is very different from running a licensed dispensary. A heavily, a very heavy, heavily regulated. And taxed. But and I keep on thinking, like, it was a lottery. Like, if they hadn't gotten one of those balls... Mm -hmm. Would we have any equity applicants up and running now? And would anybody be able to say that these equity programs are capable of actually existing? I don't even think it's the city's fault per se. 
I can't really think of no one to just blame. It just needs to be done better. And it needs to be more accountability for running it the way that it was supposed to be ran. You know what I mean? And when I talk to the city, we talk about it. They get my input because it's just as real as I'm giving it to you. Because I get the people come and talk to me that's been incubated for two years and have no money. You know what I mean? Like you're paying rent on something. You have to have staff. You have to have the place to do it. You have to have the permits all without getting a dime. How are you supposed to do that? And I'm poor. The qualifications for me to be in this program means I'm poor. And you want me to now provide this kind of money at, in most cases, five to six times marked up normal than anybody else. And you want me to survive in this, all of this before I even get a dime in my pocket. I think it's great that we have started the conversation that these programs have started, but like, you know, there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of hurdles. Like the funding isn't really there. You can get a loan now through the equity program. The The um, Bureau of Cannabis Control is actually giving out equity loans now. But, like, why is that a loan and not a grant? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's that process? Is that going to be as hard as, again, what is that bureaucratic process? How mm-hmm. long does that take? And what's the interest on that loan? Right. Like, I can't say that I know. But what I can say is that if you're really trying to... If you if if we're calling this reparations, which is what it's been called over and over again, that's not free. Mm-hmm. Like you're not actually giving people anything, right? Mm-hmm. You give them an opportunity, right? But beyond that, what else have you given them? And that has been the consistent criticism of these programs. You give them the license, but you don't give them the tools. You don't give them the resources. You don't give them everything that you need in order to run a business. You need a lot of resources to keep a thing going right now. And even if you get the loan, then you got taxes to pay. So they're just getting that money back anyway. So it's like, I mean, there there's talks about, you know, lowering the taxes, right? At least for equity applicants. Um, I mean, maybe the whole industry would probably be a good idea, (laughs) but you know, (laughs) we can start with them. Right. So one of the things though, is that the the ball has started rolling, right? Like Oakland got the ball rolling and now we're seeing other states actually baking equity programs into their regulations for adult use. I think New York hasn't passed, um, their you know adult use law or whatever they're going to call it um because they're trying to bake in the equity into the regulations i i looked that up briefly yesterday so i mean but like good on new york and that's the way it should have been it should have been that way here right Mm -hmm. that should have been really locked into place before we before we voted it in but you know one of the things that i think is interesting there both Amber and Tucky have good reason to be hella pessimistic right now. Mm-hmm. And both of them are like very light at the end of the tunnel. Totally. That was really nice to hear Amber be so optimistic. Um, I thought, you know, what she said about the waters are calming now. We kind of have a clear vision and how kind of success now means like scaling and kind of having a bigger picture. I thought she had a lot of optimistic things to say yeah. about the industry in general. I mean, like like we joke, she's still in it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's 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 something that keeps on popping up too, is like 
if you can weather the storm, right? Mm-hmm. If you can make it through, can you eventually actually make it? It might be a 10-year storm. <laughs> Why is Blunt and Moore the only equity-owned dispensary open right now? Honestly, truthfully, I think just our driving, how we approach things, we was able to get a deal in place pretty fast. Um, but we had some shitty offers on the table. Oh, yes, no, this was not the first. And this offer wasn't the prettiest either. It had a lot of shit stains on it, but we were able to, you know, find a common goal and let it be known, look, as long as you can get out your head that we're not giving up any equity at all, then we can talk. And once we got that past that conversation, that that was clear and cut that that wasn't happening, it made the conversation easier. But I think while we are what we are right now, aside from just being able to sign the deal, is who we are. What do you think that the, the city first, mm-hmm. second the state, could mm-hmm. be doing better when it comes to equity applications and the equity businesses? Education and funding. There are a litany of reasons why Oakland's equity program has been criticized up and down, left and right, and all those other things. But, you know, Oakland did a thing before anybody else was willing to do a thing, right? And now we have basically every Democratic presidential candidate laying out their vision for what legal cannabis looks like, and it involves equity. It involves reparations, for the most part, which... Good on you, Supernova Woman. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like if it weren't for organizations like them and Hood Incubator, these conversations would not have ever made it to the level that they have. One of the really cool things is, is that I think Amber, I think Amber was there. I know that somebody from Supernova Women was there, but Beto O'Rourke, one of the presidential candidates. Oh, yeah. Dude from El Paso, my hometown. Uh went to Blunson Moore mm-hmm. and they did like a sit down kind of fireside chat, whatever round table conversation about equity and the war on drugs and reparations and all of those things. And I think that's, that's awesome. We want to go global. I want to do as much to put this brand and the movement, the equity movement out there. It's not about me or Brie. It's about the whole movement, the equity Black and cannabis movement. It's been like we're equity on dispensary, but I think by the end of this, I think by this first year, maybe next year we wouldn't even qualify to be equity. So to be able to say that is amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's just the future for us is getting bigger and better and just trying to shed the good light on the equity program and that it can be a success and it will be. If he, he he's inspiring because he is so stoked about it and mm-hmm. like. Wants to take it worldwide, right? Yeah, he's not even mad at the equity program. Yeah, no, he wants to go global. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, yeah. He's. I mean, if if I lived in Oakland, I would shop at Blunson more. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, and that place is great. Like honestly, I kept on being like, "Damn, this place is big. Like, this place is huge." He's got this huge spot just just across the street from the Coliseum, across the street, like across a giant parking lot mm-hmm. and a street, but yeah. whatever. Um, and the place is great, right? And it it is nice. But yeah, I just keep on thinking, like, if it wasn't Blunts and more, would it even exist? Be anybody? Um, probably not. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. It it sounds like a very special case that 
again, like we said before, was like by luck, kismet, happenstance, whatever, you know? And and it's like Tucky's just like it was meant to be. It was meant to be for him. And mm-hmm. and I'm um I'm happy it was him. Um when he talks about oh yeah, when he talks about generational wealth, like and you know, black people did build this industry. I mean, he would talked about his grandmother introducing mm-hmm. him to weed. And I and I think that's the case for many people. Like mm-hmm. I think people's grandparents grew and sold and like, you know, and so yeah. Grab your bowl, let's get keyed. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to, can we just do like a segment of you reading seg- sections of that song? <laughs> I like could probably like talk them to you right now. Ooh. Do it. But yeah. it's such a good song. We were listening to it yesterday. It's such a good song because again, taking it back, setting up the framework for how kind of the culture works. You can't take a puff from this joint unless you throw in five dollars, mm-hmm. and also kind of walking you through how. Well, at this point, you can't take a toke of that unless you throw in at fifteen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wrecked is a podcast of the Grass Agency. I'm Christopher Trout. My co-hosts are Rena Caria and Brandy Moody. We're produced and edited by Kyle Mock, and our theme music is by Regender. Follow us at The Grass Agency on Instagram and Twitter. We'll see you next week.